Love that jacket, too. Come on. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 4. How many are glad to see uh, spring, spring, and then it kind of retracts, and then it springs again like a spring? Can I get an amen for spring? I thought that would go over better than what it did, but I feel like today we're going to see it spring into the 60s. How many are ready for that? Tomorrow, the 70s. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. John chapter 4. I hear so many good reports about the life groups. I just want to encourage you that if you have not joined the life groups as of yet, please do so. They are a place of life. They are an amazing place to get to know people, to hang out, to build your Christian faith, and to build others. How many enjoy life groups? Amen. So I just want to encourage you to keep doing them. They are a blessing, and thank you for all the life group leaders who serve and make it happen. Thank you. Uh, John chapter 4, verse 1. Somebody say living water. Living water. How many know water is important? Some would say it's the most important element of life, that without water you cannot have life. Of course, we need so many other things, but it seems like water is at least at the top of the list, if not the most important thing on the list. When we go to John chapter 4 here, as is our habit in first service, going verse by verse through the book of John, I want you to see how important water is to Jesus' message to the woman at the well. This is a famous passage of Scripture. I know most of us have already heard it, but I want to encourage you, as I have studied it myself, to think of it in a different way, or at least go deeper than you ever have before. I believe that we oftentimes take for granted the position that we have with Jesus Christ. We so often as Christians take for granted the grace that we have in this relationship with Jesus. I know you hear from this pulpit oftentimes me mention other religions, other be others' beliefs, and sometimes that may be off-putting to you. I've actually heard that from others who have visited. They say, Pastor, why don't you leave the Catholics alone? Why are you always talking about Muslims and Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses? I mean, I came to church. I came to learn about the Bible. And I share with those visitors, we live in a world of plurality, of plural beliefs. How many have friends that are Catholics, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, another religion other than Christianity, or at least what you're doing here today? How many? Amen. Many of us. And so I think for, for all of us, we need to kind of be honest with ourselves in this Christian walk that we're having and, and be honest in a way that is for the help of others and say, you don't have what I have. You don't have it the same. Roman Catholics, as much as I love them, do not have this. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I pleaded with my grandmother, Polish grandmother, who was Roman Catholic her whole life, to see Christ in this way because the Catholic Church, though uh, the many good things that it's done, and it's not in the same category of Islam and Mormonism. I do want to be clear with that. But nonetheless, no matter all the good that it's done, it has lacked the ability to bring people to the living well of Jesus Christ. When we learn about this woman at the well, we're going to hear probably one of the biggest differentiations between Christianity and all the other belief systems of the world. In other words, you're going to hear a woman that should not deserve to have anything from God if you're judging her on works. And that's where all the other religions go wrong. It's you plus God equals something. You, you know, God does this, 
you do this, and then now you get something. All the other religions, aside from Protestant, evangelical, Billy Graham Christianity, there is a error in the equation. It's not God plus you equals something. It's God plus nothing equals everything. Anytime you and I add ourselves to this equation, we ruin the entire equation. We put into the equation the error that will continue to have us with the wrong answer. I know there's a a part that we play, and you'll see that the woman plays a part in this. She can choose to believe or not believe, and so faith will be important to what she does. But as you learn in the Scriptures, faith, according to Romans chapter 4 specifically, faith is not something we're doing. Faith, according to Ephesians chapter 2, is a gift from God. So it's all God from beginning to end. And yes, you will have a choice to whether or not you will receive the gift of God. That is your choice. But your choice does not equate to having a part of the equation. It is not God plus your faith equals something. It is still God plus nothing on your side equals everything. All you and I are doing, and what you'll see the woman at the well does, is choose to believe that God does everything. For example, if I was to ask you right now, right now, literally, where you are right now with what you have on you at this moment to fly 30,000 feet, it would be impossible. Now, if the circumstances became dire, the, hot, you know, the building's on fire, and I say, fly out of this building, you couldn't. It would be impossible. Then, if the circumstances even got more intense, it's fly out of this building or go to hell for eternity. That's impossible. And it would seem cruel to say such a thing. And yet, many people think about salvation that way, that God is asking us to do something impossible, fly at 30,000 feet, and if we don't, we're going to go to hell forever. I mean, that's at least what your neighbor says who's sassy towards Christianity. But what they don't understand is that Christianity is not asking you in and of yourself to do something that is impossible. It's not asking you to do that. What is Impossible with us is possible with God. What Christianity is asking you to do is to trust God for the impossible. Now if I said to you, can you walk onto a plane that will fly you 30,000 feet in the air? Every able-bodied person would say, absolutely. I can walk onto that plane. Now, as that plane is 30,000 feet in the air, would you take credit for the plane's altitude because of the steps you took to board the plane? I boarded the plane, therefore it equals I'm 30,000 feet in the air. No, the ability for the plane to achieve 30,000 feet in the air had nothing to do with your choice to walk onto a plane. The only thing that mattered was your choice to 
be on the plane. But your choice, think about it, your choice to board a plane did not make aerodynamic and air propulsion and flight possible. Are you guys tracking with me? Flight was possible whether or not you chose to get on that plane. Flight is happening for others who do not choose to get on planes. Uh, even The flight is happening even when others don't want to be on the plane. So in other words, yes, we have a choice to get on the plane, but our choice never equals the result of 30,000 feet in the air. That's because of other people's choices. They built a plane. They flew a plane, right? Are you guys tracking with me? Somebody came up with aerodynamics. Your choice was to trust that person. Now, I hope I got your attention because the woman at the well is not just any old story. It comes in the Gospel of John right after chapter 3 where you have just heard the, probably the most beautiful and well-deserved, most famous verse of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then we got some more doctrinal understanding of that. And now John chapter 4 is going to show us what it looks like. What does it look like when it's God plus nothing equals everything? What does it look like when Jesus, God in the flesh, who we've learned from John chapter 1, is the Word who has been with God and is God? He has manifested in the flesh, full of grace and truth. He is the one who has revealed the Father. No one has seen God, but God, the one and only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. What does it look like when that message in that person encounters the worst among us. Because of this day, according to the Jewish people, this woman would be the worst among us. She's of a different race. She's not Jewish. She comes from the, the breeding or the intermingling of the Jewish people breaking God's commands and having sexual relationships with pagans and idolaters and those who hated the God of Israel. In other words, the compromised relationship of, uh, relationships of Jewish people produce the Samaritans, and then the Jewish people begin to despise them. Not right at all. Racism is racism. Hatred is hatred in all generation, and it's damnable if not repented of. That's why when Jesus picks the story in the synoptic gospel to pick a character of great compassion, it's called the good Jew. Is that what the story is known as, the good Jew? No, what is it known as? The what? The Good Samaritan. Because he flips their racism upside down. He picks the one that's least likely in their mind to be worth anything good and says they're the star of the show and all of the Jewish religious leaders and those you think would be on top are actually on the bottom. You're going to see that this woman, though, couldn't choose whether or not she was a Samaritan, but you're going to see that she could choose whether or not she had some baby daddies. <laughs> and she had quite a few baby daddies. And so we will feel compassion for her in the sense of how she was born into what culture and time and how she was oppressed. She wasn't the privileged. And yet at the same time, we may be a little bit tempted to want to rebuke her because it's well-deserved. 
We do not encourage women to go from man to man to man. Can I hear an amen? Come on, somebody, or amen. We are to have amen, not many men, women. That's what you're supposed to have, amen. Now listen, this is Jesus, and he's going to teach us how it works. God plus everything, uh, God plus nothing equals everything. Are you ready in John chapter 4, verse 1? Living water, living water. Wait, just wait till we get there. So many scriptures to talk about this. I'm going to read the whole story uh, to verse chapter, uh, chapter 4 to verse 26 so you can hear it all. I'm not going to be able to discuss it all today, but I want you to hear it, and we'll read it again, uh, Lord willing, over the next few weeks. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. We're here to learn that it wasn't important whether or not Jesus was baptizing in water because he's going to baptize in the Holy Ghost. Amen? Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Real history. How does God get tired? When God takes on flesh and limits himself to feel what a man feels. That's how he gets tired. Is everybody tracking with me? The eternal nature of God never gets tired, but him taking on flesh, dialing back his power to feel what we feel, that's how he felt tired. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. They'll join into the story in a little bit later. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And this is from the author of John here. The, the, the brackets come from John. He writes this. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, if you're looking at the list of who had the least amount of privilege, to Jews, it would be somebody from a pagan nation who had caused us to compromise. This kind of person would be an enemy to them, more hated than just some pagan nation off in the distance somewhere far away. This person would remind them of their compromise and of their sin. And these kind of people at different times in history sided with their oppressors. So in their mind, there was no other worse person than a Samaritan. Then in their culture that was predominantly ran by men, women had a lower status oftentimes. So this is why she says, you're a Jew. But I am a Samaritan woman. You're breaking all of the rules, Jesus. Why are you asking me for a drink? In other words, if you were even dying of thirst, you wouldn't want me to give you something to drink. Something must be going on here. She's cluing into the cultural situation. Even if Jesus was dying of thirst at that time as a common Jew, they would not ask this person for water. Yet how many know Jesus is not the common Jew? How many know he's the Lord of the Jews? How many know he loves male and female? Red and yellow, black and white are all precious in his sight. Look at what Jesus responds to her in verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... 
and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Can you highlight living water, please? I have so many scriptures to go over. As you can see, I put them in your notes so you can have them as well. But this is the key of today's sermon. Then I'm going to read through the rest of this beautiful story that we'll get into by God's grace in the weeks ahead. But I want you to see the beauty of this message that Jesus says to her. Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him for living water. Two things that he wanted her to know, the gift of God and who he is. This is why I was saying at the very beginning, everything we do in Christianity is based on the gift of God and Jesus Christ. Whenever a religion demotes Jesus in any way or changes or demotes the gift of God in any way, you lose what makes Christianity so special and unique. Oh, I can't go directly to Jesus. I need to go to his mother. You have now neglected who Jesus really is. Jesus does not need a mediator between us and him. Jesus is the mediator. Do you understand now why our Roman Catholic friends, they degrade this message, they change this message. They're demoting Jesus to the place where he's too busy for us. And yet in John chapter 4, he is not too busy for a Samaritan woman. Why would he be too busy for us? He loves us. When someone says, oh, this is what you must do. If you want to have paradise, you want to have a good life, you want to see God in your life, this is what you must do. And they start listing off these boxes with check marks that you're going to have to fill out. They have de degraded and put down the gift of God. You have to pray this many times towards a black stone in Mecca. You have to do this during the times of Lent and do this during the times of this. And then you have to do this over here. And then you have to pray to this thing. They change the gift of God. Notice what Jesus is doing with this woman. He is removing every barrier between her and that gift. Between her and himself. He is sitting right there next to her. Imagine this. God, the creator of heaven and earth, sitting next to you. He has removed every barrier possible. There he is. If God were one of us. Right? As the song goes, there is God as one of us. He's removed every barrier. And then he says, here is a gift. Here is a gift, yours for the taking. But does her heart understand it? No, she misses both at first. She misses what the gift is because she wants to do something for it. And then she'll miss who Jesus is. Track with me and see if you get it. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the water, uh, the well is deep. You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob? How many know Jesus is greater than Jacob? Because he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from in himself, as did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, notice what he says here. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I, I, I. Notice the eyes that Jesus is saying in this sentence to her. Only God himself could speak with such direct authority. Highlight the eyes for them, please. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them. Notice his divine prerogative. Where do you ever hear a prophet speak in such a way? All of the Old Testament. Show me a prophet that speaks about eternal life, the presence of God, and puts themselves directly in the first person and says, I will do that for you. It alone can only be God. Only God. But yet notice he's teaching her about the gift and he's teaching her about himself. The gift and the gift giver. The gift and the gift giver. She doesn't understand either. And nor would we in that situation because the mystery of God had not yet been revealed. And now it's being revealed to her. This gift is not like the religious practices of her day that they do over and over and over again, yet leave them thirsty. This gift is the exact opposite. Instead of it running out, it continues to well up more and more and more. Instead of it needing to be rehashed over and over and over again, what once was done multiplies and multiplies and grows and continues to fill until it changes the entire person and even the whole world, as we'll soon learn. What I will give you, Jesus said, this kind of water will lead you to never thirst again. Every other religion that gives its religious practices show the thirst inside the human soul has not been quenched. Let us not take that for granted today, brothers and sisters, that you and I have a gift from the greatest gift giver that leaves us always satisfied, never needing more. I don't need more eternal life. I just need the eternal life that I have to continue to touch all the life around me. But I have all that I will ever need. Psalm chapter 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? How many remember that? He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still and quiet waters. He restoreth my soul. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How can Jesus talk like the shepherd? He can talk like the shepherd and promise her a never wanting more relationship because he is the shepherd. Later on in John, he'll say, I am the good shepherd. 
He says, I give them water and they'll never thirst again. This water that I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, now she understands what's going on. She's cluing into the gift. This is not just a conversation about, you know, H2O anymore. She gets it, but now she doesn't understand how it's going to work. She says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw this water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Somebody say, it's about ready to get real. Amen. Here's where it gets real. Okay, so she wants to interact with this gift giver, and she wants to receive this gift. She's not quite understanding it, but she knows it enough to to, to get, like, I need it. Like, she has a need, and she sees the man's not going to lie or trick her. So she's willing to reach out and ask. And now Jesus makes it real and says, go call your husband and come back. This is why whenever we preach the gospel, we always have to include the message of repentance. Even in the most endearing time that Jesus is having with this woman, he brings up her sin. So often we as a church are told that we're unloving because we don't just offer the gift of God. We want to discuss the sin of people's lives. And, and sometimes people who think they know better than even Jesus say, well, just offer the gift. Just offer the gift. Don't get hung up on people's sin. Jesus, you have her on the hook. Close the deal. Don't now introduce a whole mess of a situation. Jesus, you got her right where you want her. You showed that she had a need. You can meet the need. Now fill the need, Jesus. And we got another one. Notch on the bell. Another church goer. Another disciple. Don't ruin it by bringing up their sin. This is now going to possibly cause them to get offended. They're now going to turn down our water because you've made them feel embarrassed. How dare you? Bring that up. That's none of your business. My husband, that's none of your business. How many know in our culture that would be a common response? I have ministered to people in all kinds of circumstances, and oftentimes when I am meeting their needs, I am the best pastor. I'm the best teacher. I can do no wrong. They laugh at my jokes. They love what I'm having to say. I am their, just their favorite. I'm their favorite. But the moment sin is brought up, you can see the, de the demeanor change. The expression changes. They're no longer engaged like they once were because now their pride has rose up and for some reason they have to defend this sin instead of humbling themselves and being honest. Let's see how the woman responds. She says, I have no husband. She replied, Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. So you gave up on marriage. You're just shacking up now. What you have said is quite true. How is her response? What is it like? May it be our response whenever sin or issues are bring, brought up in our lives. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Now, right there, we, we, just, we just admire her so much that she can see that God is speaking to her and that she's starting to realize this is not an ordinary man. 
But now notice how she instantly, in this religious mindset, turns from the gift giver and goes right into religion. She now acknowledges Jesus as a prophet, but now she wants to be religious. Her demeanor goes to, well, then what must I do as a form of my religion now? to be able to get this gift. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. You see, she's missing that Jesus had already told her earlier, if you knew who was here with you asking you for water, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He didn't bring anything up about going to Jerusalem to worship. He didn't bring up anything to condemn her for where she was worshiping. But why did she go there? Why was she so quickly to now take this conversation about the gift and the gift giver and insert in there how and where a person worships? Because she didn't understand living water. She only understood the dry dust and the broken well of religion. She only knew what it was like to be parched. And so she thought that somehow this was turning into join my church, my Bible study, come to this temple. And she thought it was just going back to that broken well that had left her parched to begin with. And the reason probably why she had so many men is because she didn't have a relationship with God, unsatisfied in life, fulfilling them or, or, or desires through sexual pleasure, trying to fill what God uh, was not doing in her heart because she was out in a world of religion. Most people who are not satisfied with God live in sin. That's because God is the only one that fills the heart-shaped hole that we have inside of us. Christ is what fills that heart-shaped hole. Are you guys listening to me? And so she goes, okay, well, I, I get you're a prophet, but now tell me about religion. Tell me about what I do now. And Jesus says, woman, believe me, a time is coming When you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. Now notice this. This does not give permission for people to be rude towards Samaritans, but it is a rebuke. Y'all don't know what you're doing. You don't know what time it is. And yet the Jews were supposed to know, but they were backslidden. So you Samaritans worship what you don't know. You really don't know God. We worship who we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But look at verse 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father does what? Seeks. The Father seeks. The opposite of religion in the sense of things we do. God plus my works equals salvation or eternal life, something like that. No, it's the Father is seeking plus nothing equals everything in your life. Religion says, let me try to build a stairway to heaven to earn God's blessing, to earn God's reward. And Jesus is saying, the stairway has already been built. I'm down here with you. The Father is seeking. 
You don't have to worry about trying to find out where he is. He's seeking you. What an opposite mindset. Come on, somebody. Think about it. What an opposite mindset of what most people have in this world. Why are they praying towards Mecca? They're seeking Allah because Allah is not seeking them. Why are Hare Krishnas, Hare Krishnas, and those of these different religions doing what they're doing? Because there's no one out there seeking them. They have to go after their God. They have to go after their, their religious ways to find their peace. Yet in Christianity, it's exactly the opposite. God so loved the world that he what? That he gave or sent his only son. Jesus is being sent to seek and save the lost on behalf of the Father. Jesus is coming to us. Jesus is knocking at our door. Yes, can there be rebellious people that God leaves alone in the sense of he will not pursue them in their sin? The Bible talks about that. If you turn your back on God, he will allow you to go in that direction. He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. But in a general sense, in a sense of understanding God's character, before the Bible says God is love, what is that love manifesting as upon this earth? God is seeking. God is seeking you out. God loves you so much. He is seeking you out in the midnight hour, in the quietness of your heart. He is coming to your room, invading your thoughts and your mind. God loves us. Jesus is turning this woman's worldview upside down. It's not about being a Samaritan or a Jew. It's not about being a male or a female. It's not about whether you worship here or worship there. It's about you knowing who the gift giver is and receiving that gift. For the Father is seeking people to give that gift to. How many of you have ever had something really nice and you couldn't wait to share it with others? A few of you here? The rest of you are selfish? Or you're just not paying attention in church. How many of you have had something nice you couldn't wait to share it with others? Come on. We all relate with that. As a kid, I got the Nintendo before a lot of my friends. Come on over. I sought my friends out to come play the Nintendo with me, Mario Brothers. I sought them out. I wanted that joy of sharing it with them. I had waited my entire adult life until I was in my 40s to get a car that I actually wanted. Before then, it was all hand-me-downs. And then it was a station wagon and a minivan. So I finally saved up by God's grace and had enough money to get a Jeep. What was the first thing I wanted to do? Go pick up my friend. Let's go ride in this. Now, some people might say, well, that's a form of selfishness. It depends on who you're talking to. For me, it was selflessness. It was a form of me saying, celebrate with me what I have. I want you to be happy with it. I want you to enjoy what I have because it's not fun by myself. Has anybody ever felt like having something nice is not fun by yourself? Come on, somebody. God is the same way. God already has love within himself between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He doesn't need us, but he wants to invite us in. So he makes a perfect world for us. He makes us as his perfect creation. And he doesn't give to us a bunch of things to do to earn his love. We've already got it. God plus nothing equals everything. It's already there in the garden, the way he's bringing it back with this woman. It's already there. God plus nothing equals everything. What do we do? What do what, what, what's required of us? 
just to give it back. Just to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, not my will, but your will. That's all we give back. But who gave us a will? He did. Who gave us the gift to believe that he was good? He did. And so in the garden, when we add ourselves to the equation, God plus Adam and Eve's ideas, influenced by the serpent, equals what? The world you see now today, where Russia can invade Ukraine with Chechnya and have no mercy. A world where mothers can kill their children in abortion clinics. A world where more young people can die on the streets of Chicago than they do outside of the country defending our nation. In other words, we're at war with ourselves. Drugs and addiction, suicide, depression, and yet we have more prosperity than we've ever had. We have air conditioning, we have heat, we have running water, we have all of these things, and yet we kill each other off or kill our own selves off or live in despair worse than those who are in the, right now in poverty in other parts of the world that don't have running water and toilets. They would beg for our opportunity to live, and yet our kids have it and they kill themselves. Have you ever thought about how, how under God's punishment we are that we don't even know our own genders, we don't know what sexuality is meant for, we don't know the meaning of life, we don't know why education exists, we send our children to school to get STDs. Are you listening? And we wonder why. When I say a story like this, we all think it's just a simple Sunday school story. We don't understand. We're listening to the gift giver offer us the greatest gift. I plead with this generation, hear what he says. God is seeking you. All you have to do is say, yes, Lord. Receive it like living water. And the destruction that we see will stop. The destruction in our city will cease in a moment. But right now we are, as a culture, so thirsty. We are so desperate for satisfaction that people will go with well-working body parts to a doctor and say, cut them off and dismember me so I can feel right here again. We will tell our children today at the park, my nine-year-old son, I will say to him, do not slide your hat two degrees this way lest this whole entire park get shot up. Because somebody is convinced in their mind that if they prove that this park belongs to them, even with murder and death in their heart, they do not have any satisfaction. And a mother today will come from Indiana to Illinois to kill a baby that could survive outside of the womb because she is so thirsty for meaning in her life that she thinks a baby in her God-given womb is a curse. And then we go out and preach and people have the audacity to say back to us, where is God? Well, where, where is God? God is seeking us. 
God is speaking to us. God is reaching out to us continually. And if you're honest with yourself, you will see that he puts no condition on the gift except to receive him and the gift. Just like we talked about with the plane, there's no real condition on it except that you believe this will take you from A to B. You don't have to understand aerodynamics. You and the pilot don't have to hang out all day. You just have to trust that the pilot can do what that plane was made for. And that's why the Bible calls it a mustard seed of faith. When I came to Christ at November 5th, 1995, that's about as much as I understood about God. That's about as much as I understood about the plane called eternal life that I was boarding. That he was a good God. He loved me. He came for me. He died for me. He rose again. He, you know, he, he did this to seek me out. The Father sent him and that I just needed to receive, to stop resisting. I can't tell you how many times I've had to take away things from my children because I said... Not now, but wait. And because of their own pride, their own will, I've had to say, now you don't get the tablet the whole day. All I wanted you to do was just trust me and eat your dinner first. How many times I've had to say to them, we're getting ice cream, we're getting ice cream. Don't ask me again, because if you ask me again, you're not getting it. And then they ask me again. And i got to keep my word. I know I'm a bad dad, huh? But I'm teaching them. Just trust me. I've got the money in my wallet. I've got a car that runs. I know the direction to Dairy Queen. Just relax. And yet we want to come to Jesus in Christianity like as if He's on trial, and Judge Judy is his judge, and we want him to explain all the problems that we've had and the reason why things have gone wrong here, and when we tried this, it didn't work. And all he wants us to do is receive the living water. If you knew the one who spoke to you, you would ask him for living water, and you would never thirst again. This is what God is doing. He is seeking for worshipers, those who are worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, I, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. How many believe that's who he is? Amen. Are you ready for living water? Amen. Go back up with me to John chapter 4, verse 10. That was the introduction. Are you ready for the message? Are you ready, brothers and sisters? May I be a blessing to you for these next few moments. I hope that I've made a clear path now for us to lay the framework of this doctrine of living water. When we look to John chapter 4, verse 10, you see it right there. The gift and the gift giver. Go to Isaiah chapter 55 now. Who is, according to the prophets, the gift giver of this living water? Is it merely a prophet? Is it merely a good person? No, it is God himself. Listen to the God of your Bible saints. And let us be preachers like this. Come! All you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come. Buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. 
How many know that's the God of the Bible speaking? Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. That is the God of the Bible. There is no one other than this who could speak this way. And just go down a few more verses. Verse 5, surely you will summon nations you know not. And nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. See, if I call out to you and you're not near by me already, I'm just talking to myself. Do you notice that the command to our seeking, to seek, comes after the action of God to be found? God is not playing hide and go seek with us. He is coming to us like he did in the garden, looking for us as it were through our life of disobedience. And he is waiting patiently for you to respond back with a, I want you, Jesus. With a, yes, Lord, come even closer. Because he will not invade your space, in other words. He is giving you grace and space for you to decide. But he is there calling out. So imagine if I said to you, I have a million dollars, holler back. <laughs> How many know I'm getting to holler back? Holler at your boy. I'm right here. What, what? Who said that? Here Jesus is crying aloud. Come. Come. Have water to drink. Have the finest affair. Be provided for in every possible way. I'm calling out to you. And what must we do? Respond. Yes, Lord. Do we respond with all of these religious actions? Is he asking the woman at the well to do all of these things that, that, that need a certain place and a certain way of doing things? Did, did he say to her, okay, now that I've got your interest, now that I've piqued your interest, I want you to come to four Bible classes. I want you to meet me in Jerusalem for the conference. And then we're going to start progressing you up into different levels. No, the living water was there, right in front of her. The God who spoke in Isaiah 55 was right there, but go right up to the top, please, into the first couple of verses. What does he say? Why spend money on what is not bread? Now, notice the difference between works and a gift. He has a gift that you will not work for, but if you work for the gift, you'll never get it. This is so profound, you have to understand, this is what separates us from every belief system in the entire world. Well, Jesus, I want to I participate in this. I want to make something happen with you. I, I don't want to come empty-handed. I was taught differently than that. I've got to at least come with something in my hands to make an exchange with you because if I don't put some skin in the game, then it's not real. Jesus says, then you have none. 
If you come with any self-reliance, if you come with anything of your own self, you could then boast on the day of judgment and say, nudge, nudge, neighbor. I know you, I know you needed the handout, but I, I didn't. I brought something. And I know that's good manners in our culture, but not with God. God is saying it's God plus nothing equals everything, or you get nothing. He is either the Lord of all, or he is not the Lord at all. See, that woman was teaching us how not to try to barter with God. Well, now I have an idea of who you are, so now tell me what I do in worship. Tell me where I go. That's not the response that Jesus is looking for. Thank God he was patient with her. But the response that he was looking for was, fill me up, Jesus. <laughs> right here at the well right now with my situation all messed up the way it is, Jesus, fill me. Fill me, Jesus. I'm thirsty for you. When I came to Jesus Christ, I can actually have this as a pretty vivid example. Drugs in my pocket. Fill me up, Jesus. I don't know how to quit these, but someone just told me that you would fill me instead of me needing the drugs. I don't have time to figure it all out, but I was just told you would fill me. Fill me, Jesus! A girl that I wasn't married to was where I lived. I don't have time to break up and figure out the relationship, all of these different things. I just heard right now, Jesus, is where you want to fill me. Here I am. Fill me up, Jesus. That's Christianity. That's Jesus. There is nobody like our Jesus. You don't make this happen. You surrender. I did not make Christianity happen in my life. I just surrendered. I could give you a hundred examples like the plane, but maybe one would be of benefit. If I said we're going to go white water rafting, how many of you would try to swim upstream against the waters? <laughs> no, what would be the point of that? Are you going to work your way back up to the top of the river? What would you do? You would say, okay, show me how to do this safely, of course. And then you would just get on that raft and let it do what it does. To let it move you. To let the power of it bring you to where you would not be on your own. God is living water. And he says, trust me. So if you're on that white water raft, do you take credit for the water underneath you, moving you, just because you decided to take two steps onto that raft, into that water? Do you take credit for the gravity? Do you take credit for the thousands of pounds of water pressure? Do you take credit? No, you don't take credit for any of it. It was water plus nothing you did equals you going down that white water raft. And so often Christianity is confused with all of these other religions that say, well, no, 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 it's not that easy. See, these Christians want to tell you, all you do is just believe, ask for forgiveness, and then you're forgiven. It doesn't work that way. 
You didn't include the Mother Mary in that. You didn't do your five Our Fathers in that. You didn't get baptized and take communion. You didn't pray towards Mecca. You didn't go over here and say this mantra. You haven't given up meat yet. You're still eating meat. You're still undefiled. You can't get it that way. And yet, wouldn't it seem that audacious and honestly that offensive to our senses for God to make the plan of salvation that radical? Like, it just kind of makes sense to me. Like, the one who would create everything with one word, who would say, let there be light, and light has not stopped moving, hey, man, it's still spreading. They haven't found the expansion of the universe, the ends of our universe yet, and we have energy and light and all the things. Wouldn't it just be like our God to say, you don't attribute one thing to this. I do everything. Trust me. That would just seem like the God of the universe, the God who controls stars in his hand, would say, you do nothing, I do everything, trust me. And we are now at this place in our lives, in this culture, fighting for this message. Do not be deceived by anything less than the best. Receive the best and keep with it in Jesus' name, amen? Go to Isaiah 27. Isaiah gives us a lot of framework of living water. Isaiah chapter 27, verses 2 and onward. The prophet is speaking on behalf of God. Listen to what God says. In that day, sing about a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, Yahweh, I, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the self-existing one, God is speaking. I, the Lord, watch over it. I water it continually. Does, does the vineyard water itself? No, it's watered by the gardener. I water it continually. I guard it day and night. Does the vineyard guard itself day and night? No, he guards it day and night so that no one may harm it. I am not angry. And he begins to go on and speak to them, but it's their choice to whether or not they want that. And you'll see that if they don't want it, they'll be ravaged by the wild animals. I mean, think about this as I gave that example before about my children. I'm not angry. Sometimes I have to say to them as I'm pulling away the pad, listen, I am not angry. I'm just putting it over here so that you can eat the hot dog because you trying to hold the pad here and eat the hot dog here at the table makes a mess. Yet my child has had to learn to trust me because they think the one who gave them the pad, which was me, is now going to throw it in the garbage never to be seen again. And that what is on the table is actually poison and it's not good for them. And so there's a battle of the will. And what has happened many times in my house because they're not allowed to have the pad at the table is they'll lose the pad the rest of the day. Because they wouldn't trust me for five minutes to take the pad away and to let them eat. They start throwing a fit. If you throw a fit, you're going to have a timeout and not have the pad. Ah, keep having the fit. No more pad the rest of the day. Why is there a hell? Why is there a punishing God in our Bible? Why isn't God just all rainbows and lollipops all the time? Because when we don't trust him with 80 years of dirt in motion that's mostly moist with some chemicals, when we don't trust him with this, he says, you don't know me to have eternal life then with me. God says, why should I give you eternal life with me 
beyond flesh and blood, eternal life in the spirit, when you won't even trust me with dust. You won't even trust me with what I pave my streets with. Gold. You won't even... I'm taking it from you. It wasn't yours. You see, we get it in our minds that our life was ours and we'll do whatever we want with it. Part of that is true. You will make a choice to what you do with it, who you will serve, who you will seek. But it is not yours. This breath was a gift of God. This body was a gift of God. This universe and the laws that we operate in was a gift of God. And what was he asking in return? Let me water you. Let me satisfy you. Let me show you what life really is. And we're saying, no, mine. I want it this way, not your way. That's why there's a hell. Go to Isaiah chapter 44. How many are being encouraged today to go after living water? I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven with Jesus. I'll get to Revelation in just a few moments. Isaiah chapter 44, look at verses 3 through 5. For I, God speaking again, will pour out on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. What must you do to be qualified as a recipient for God to want to pour out on you his water? Just be thirsty and dry. What do you need to qualify for to receive God's salvation? Be a sinner. Have you sinned? Then Jesus is ready to be your Savior. You've met the qualifications. Are you thirsty in life? You've met the qualifications to be filled with eternal life. There it is. There it is. All one must do is acknowledge that which is already true. Did Sir Isaac Newton invent gravity or discover what was already true? Did we invent the world and make the world round or just discover what was already true? Every scientific discovery is exactly that. Everything that has ever been done by the things of men have done what has already been able to be done because of the laws in place. In other words, if you want to get trippy with the mind, going back in time, you could have created the light bulb because everything for the light bulb was there in 1000 B.C., we just discovered how to do it in the 1800s and around that time. Are you tracking with me? It was already there. Everything was there. We really have brought nothing new under the sun. It's all here. Whatever we now put together and make was already here, already able to be unified and to be practically combined in these ways. So what is the qualification then for us to receive water, just be honest with what's already there. I'm thirsty. I'm not satisfied. I'm not my creator. I heard there was one who sent his son. That's the one I want to satisfy me. And he says, for I will pour, dry, I'll pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Do you know that anytime Jesus talks about baptizing them in the Holy Spirit, or anytime John the Baptist talked about that, do you know that was just another way of just putting up in neon lights? Jesus is Yahweh, the only one who can pour out the Spirit. Have the Spirit and be able to pour it out is Jesus. Is anybody here able to pour out the ocean? 
How much greater is the spirit who hovered and made the ocean? How much greater is that spirit? And yet Jesus, as it is in a crude example, but it is from the scriptures, but it goes so much deeper than this, pours out the spirit. How much power must Jesus have to pour out the spirit of God? He must be in the same power category of the spirit. For him to be able to say, spirit, you go here, you go here, you go here. Why does Jesus have so much divine authority and power? Because he himself is the one making these promises. The father has always been speaking through the son by these prophets, but now in the last days the son has manifested in the flesh. Father, son, spirit, three separate persons, one divine being, sharing the same essence and power. I will pour out. Water on the thirsty ground. I, I will give streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like the poplar trees by flowing streams. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of, name of Jacob. Still others will write on their own hand, the Lord. See tattoos in the Bible, my friend. And will take the name of Israel. In other words, we'll have different ways of describing how we are God's. But all of us will be saying the same thing, even though it's a little bit different. That's why we don't get caught up in whether or not you're in our church, Metro Praise, or in this church down the road. Are you a person who believes this doctrine? Can I hear an amen if you do? Amen. Isaiah 48, 21. Quickly, I have a few more to go through. How did the Israelites make it for so long in the wilderness when really there was nothing there? God provided for them, did he not? Manna, substance, the water from the rock, making these waters drinkable when they had a bitter taste. Listen to what Isaiah says about this rock of water that would follow them around. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. Yet notice the very next verse, one of the famous verses from rock and roll, guys. There's no rest or peace for the wicked, says the Lord. Wow. So on one side of things, when God's in charge and God is doing things, you can have water come from a rock in a wilderness. On the other hand, when God's not involved, you can have everything this world offers, yet your soul will never be at peace or rest. Isn't that something? God plus nothing equals everything. God plus nothing equals everything. Now go to 1 Corinthians 10.3. Who does Paul say this rock was? Who do, who's the rock? Let's skip ahead. Who knows who the rock is? Jesus. Only two of you. Well, good thing we're going over it. I thought we could skip ahead, help the preacher preach. But for those who need the Bible study, this is for you. 1 Corinthians 10.3. They all ate, talking about the Israelites in the desert. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. Uh, drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. The rock was Christ. Watch. But nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Why? Because going back to that passage in Isaiah, they were wicked. They wouldn't let God take care of them. They kept wanting more than what God had promised them. For some reason, we as sinners think that something else in sin will satisfy us more than God's blessings. It has deceived Adam and Eve. It's deceived all of us at a time or two. And now the choice is up to us. What do you want? A few more verses. Jeremiah 2, verses 13 and onward. 
Uh, Daryl, would you come please in closing? How many want the living water of God today? Amen. Look at Jeremiah 17.3. My people. Somebody say my people. Now God's going to talk about his people. My people. This is what my people are like. My people have committed two sins. Remember we talked about it before. They don't know the gift or the gift giver. Let's see if that comes back here. They have forsaken me. It's their first sin. They have forsaken me. The spring of living water. And what's the second sin? They forsook the gift and dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. How many see those two sins in our culture today? I don't need God. This is all I need. All I need is love. No, that's not all you need. Because if you don't have God defining that love, that party's going to end. That relationship's going to end. You don't need ambiguous love. That's a famous club song, by the way. Your pastor's kind of cool, those who didn't get it. Because I know you're not in the club anymore, but every now and then on my feeds, I hear these songs come up, and I sing it for the visitor, and then they know I'm cool. All I need is love. No, no, no. No, 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 no. That's not all you need. That's a broken cistern. Love without God and his gift is broken. It doesn't work. Talk to all the people at the club at the end of the night how it doesn't work. My people have committed two sins, God says. Number one, they forsook me. They thought they had a better way. They thought they could fill in my, my place with the Pope. They thought they could fill it in with this guru. They thought they could fill it in with this enlightened person. They forsook me. That's what God says. And then they go off over here into some broken well and start slurping up dirt. Just like the old cartoon shows. Because they have been deceived to think that dirt is water. Anybody ever watch those shows where they see the mirage, start scooping in the dirt into their mouth, the sand, only to spit it out and then realize they were deceived by an illusion? Scroll down just a little bit, please. Also, look at what it says here. The men of Memphis and Taphanes have cracked your skull. These people are really cursing you and defeating you and doing all of these things. They're, those are cities of Egypt. Verse 18, now why go to Egypt and drink water from the Nile? You get used and abused by these Egyptians, yet you keep going to them to follow their gods. And Jesus is standing over here going, I give it to you without cost. People keep running to the very thing that's causing them to torment. And here is Jesus saying, I have what you need. Go with me to Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. How many know at the end of the story, we get the water of life in a literal form and see it? How many believe that? Only a few of you? Okay. You take, uh, you take it metaphorically then? I take it literal. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear. That's not metaphorical to me. That's literally I'm going to be drinking water and a new resurrected body with Christ forever upon the earth after he has judged this wicked world for, for forsaking him. Help me, Jesus. For forsaking him and digging up their own dry wells, we will be led like sheep 
Hallelujah, by a river of living water. What do I believe it is? It tells you what it is. I take it real, literal. Go to Revelation 21. I take it not metaphorical, but literal. From the throne of God and the Lamb. What begins to flow? Look at it. I didn't see any sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. God prepared them as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. No more mourning. No more tears. Keep going, please. He sits on that throne. Now go to Revelation chapter 22. And what flows from that throne? Chapter 22, verse 1. Then I saw the throne of God, and from the throne of the Lamb flowing a river, crystal clear, as clear as crystal, flowing from that throne down the middle of the great street of that city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit for every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Would you stand up with me, please, today? I don't want us to miss it. Are you thirsty? Come to the living water today and drink. Come to the water, band and altar workers, would you come, please? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet, can I encourage you to repent of your sins? If you don't know Christ yet as the one that that woman was searching for, can I encourage you to ask the Lord to fill you up? And then every single person that's here, can you look at me please before we dismiss? Would you make a commitment to be filled by that living water and not run off to something else? Would you make a commitment in your heart today where you know that you know that you know there is nothing else out there for you. There's no religious tradition. Some of you may learn different things in Christianity. Don't get me wrong. Maybe you'll pray this way or pray that way or worship this way or do this in a Bible study. But I'm asking you never to change your definition of where living water comes from and who it is. Every backslider I have ever seen has always did those two sins they turn their back on Jesus and then they stop coming to the gift and everything will be about whatever they have now and they're trying to prop it up but you can always tell they're thirsty still there's a park where they go to in London to preach the gospel. It's called Speaker's Corner. And it's been overridden by Muslims as of the last decade. And so Christians have come out there because Islam is spreading quickly in Europe. Where Christianity dies, the void is filled generally with Islam. I know that sounds crazy, but it generally is. Some of your friends now that say they're atheists and God-haters in the next five to ten years, if they're not careful, can be deceived by a religion like Islam. It's crazy to hear, I know, but it's true. So Islam is actually growing in post-Christian Europe right now because these people who have turned from Christianity have now seen, you know, life really isn't any better. And then they hear a false religion come with their new ideas and they're giving it a try. Well, by the way, it's still wrong. Can I hear an amen? 
But one of the men that's out there, I was watching them. He preaches all the time and he helps bring those people back to their faith. While he was out there, he spoke to a Muslim man now that used to be a Christian. And he kept rebuking him while he was out there. And you could see why he was doing that. Because this Muslim man with anger kept blaspheming Jesus, coming against Jesus. And this is what that Christian at Speaker's Corner said to the Muslim. When you were a Christian, you never acted like this. Think about that. Everybody says religions are the same. No, no, no. When you were a Christian, you were never that aggressive, belligerent, starting fights. The guy actually got into a fight with one of the people out there. He said, when you were a Christian, you were never like this. And there are so many that I see turn their back on the things of God. And I could say the same thing. When you were a Christian, you never spoke like that. When you were a Christian, you didn't need to go to counseling like you go to counseling now. When you were a Christian, your children weren't like they are now. When you were a Christian, you were not addicted to the things you are now. Why? Because it makes a real difference in our lives. So number one, if you don't know Jesus yet, please accept Christ today. Make him the Lord of your life. Accept that living water. That's all you do. We went through those examples. Put it into practice today. And then for those of us who are here, always let that river keep flowing. Never add to it. Never pollute it. Keep it pure. 20 plus years, that's my one desire, is that I never changed my mind about what I did 20 years ago. That's it. Lord, help me to stay with you. Never change my mind about this. Lord, don't let the flesh deceive me. Lead me now out of temptation. Because on this journey with Jesus, it's been beautiful. Can I hear an amen for some that have enjoyed the journey? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for this great day. You are seeking you are reaching out to every person here, Lord. Those who do not know you, I pray today that they do and they start this relationship and that you give them that water of life. If you're here today and that's you, just start to pray. Father, forgive me of my sins. I'm coming to you, Jesus. Be the Lord of my life. I believe in you. Your death, burial, and resurrection start right there. And then for the rest of us today, those who have accepted you, Lord, I pray that we'll never leave this river of living water. God, I pray we will not forsake you and turn to broken wells. If there are areas of your life right now that are broken, things that you're now giving your time and attention to that are not of God, would you ask the Lord to turn you from those things right now because those wells won't satisfy. Yes, maybe you are going to get married one day, but the person you're with could be the wrong one. Turn from that right now, that relationship. Yes, some of you right now, you're going to get a job, a career, these things. But you may be in a place right now where this is taking you from the Lord. Turn from those goals and dreams because they'll turn into nightmares without Christ. Right now, right now, right now, every person praying, searching their heart, whether it's a new Christian or those in the Lord. And then lastly, can we end by just receiving that living water by the Holy Spirit today? If you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Bible says this is part of what we get as that free gift, the gift of other tongues, a prayer language between us and God that gives us empowerment to preach. If that's for you, you can come on up today and receive that. For those who have already been baptized in the Holy Spirit, just ask the Lord to fill you up today. Fill you up to change the world. Fill you up to empower you to do that which God has for you. Hydropower today, the power of the water of the Spirit. 
right now, right now, right now. May lives change and never be the same again. My Jesus fills. My Jesus fills. Overflowing. Overflowing. There's nobody like my Jesus today. I worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I worship you today, great God of heaven and earth. May those rivers of living water flow through us today. Would you now pray for somebody you know that doesn't have those living waters? Maybe they're not here today. You're going to see them this week. Would you pray that they would be able to be touched by God? That you would have those encounters with them? That this time in the story, you're going to be like Jesus. And they're going to be like the Samaritan. And you're going to go out of your way to sit next to them. In the name of Jesus, give us Holy Ghost encounters this week with the thirsty. So that they can have what we have. Change the world in us and through us today. As we close out singing, let it rain. We're going to ask you today to not come back here empty-handed, but come back with others that can believe with you for revival. Whether they're a new Christian or not, bring them back because next week we're going to start learning about what God is seeking. He is seeking worshipers, those that are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. And I believe that's when revival comes. It's when those of us who have been filled with the rivers of God begin to pray for the rain of God to come upon this thirsty ground. It's when a church begins to go out and preach the gospel. So next week, can we all make a determination to come back with others? It's going to be a baptism Sunday. Maybe they'll even get baptized that day. Father, we ask that you'll bless us, encourage us, help us to reach out this week and make a difference in others' lives as we're filled by your Spirit in Jesus' name.